Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to... Well, that old queen, a candid and adult take on queer life quandaries at a certain age. So please listen at your own discretion. Presented by Bernie and Tommy, the views here are purely those of the content providers and in no way reflect those of any service you may hear this program on. Now, please let your ears be upstanding for the <coughs> old queen. Hello, Tommy. Hello. How, How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm all right. I'm definitely up and down, a bit down these last couple of days. Today, I've hardly done anything. I've had a long bar. I did have a rehearsal this morning mm. um, on Zoom, but yeah. I think it, this whole period is a little bit like that, isn't it? There are days where I'm definitely feeling okay and others when I'm feeling really not um but i mean it's it's warming because this week we've been told that we're past the peak and they're going to have a plan to get us out of lockdown yeah next week which will be amazing um imagine what that's gonna feel like (laughs) i don't know maybe we're gonna have to wear full body suits or something (laughs) so we can go clubbing again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like the body. I don't think clubbing is their first priority. Well, it, it's my first priority, so you know I might be writing to my MP about that. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've got a special guest coming on later, haven't we, Tommy? Who's our we special have, guest? Yeah, we've got the lovely David Mills coming on, oh. who's a comedian, actor, general funny person. Yeah, he's gonna run rings around us i bet so uh but that's gonna be fun and um we're gonna be cl- playing um kink my bluff <clears throat> in a second on instagram live uh through interstellar link up again uh so that'll be fun and got queens of agony questions and what who is or what is our that really old queen this week well i thought i'd do something different this week because i've chosen a bookshop it's the circus of books um it was a bookshop that um only closed in 2019 but it, it opened its doors in 1982 in west hollywood um so i thought 
because it seemingly is just a bookshop, um, it's actually so much, so much kind of recent gay history can be aligned to this bookshop that I felt like it was an interesting um, intervention into our fe- into our feature. Yeah, definitely. Um, I watched the documentary today, so I'm fully clued up on it because it's on Netflix. Um, yeah, so the Netflix documentary has just come out, and it was um, made by the daughter of the owners of the bookshop. So she grew up with her parents running this gay porn bookshop. Yeah, Karen and Barry. Um, yes, the parents, the Karen and Barry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's very very interesting. Yeah, I want to get my teeth into that. But shall we do um, Kink My Bluff first? Okay. So I'm going to get on Instagram. Yeah, me too. See if this works. I'm in. Uh, oh, do you want me to add you as a guest? You're having trouble loading this. Please try again later. <laughs> this is going uh, really here. well. Hey, Tommy. Hey, Tommy. Hi, baby. Hey, Tommy. Oh, God, it's going to be infinity and beyond. Uh, you ready to play Kink My Bluff? I am. Re- I'm more than ready. Okay. Well, here we go. Right, so we're going to play uh, Kink, My Bluff. Uh, hello to everyone who's joined us on Instagram Live. Um, and so this is when Tommy and I give each other cryptic words and we've got to decide whether it's a kink or not a kink. So it's a kink or it's a bluff kink. So shall I go first, Tommy? I think so, yeah. Okay. Eat me and gently. My first word is meter Tommy and it's got nothing to do with you. Or maybe it has. Meter Tommy. Okay. Um, so yeah. So just to just to tell you, the words are back to front on Instagram. Oh, are they? <laughs> Meter Tommy. <laughs> That's upside down. <laughs> so are you going to give me a definition? I'm going to give you a definition. So, Meter Tommy is an incision or tearing done to enlarge the urethra. The practice often inv- evolves from masturbating with an instrument in said urethra uh so um sounding urethra franklin yeah urethra urethra franklin yeah or is it a guy usually called tommy who delivers an order from the butcher meter tommy i think it's urethra in larger (laughs) it is a kink back to front (laughs) (laughs) So I was right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And yeah. some get so large, they can fit another guy's penis inside it. I mean, it all feels very painful to me. How about that? I just that's weird. I know. I just, do you remember back in the bad old days when they used to have to, um, when you were doing your STD test and they used to stick a sort of metal object down there? Well, yeah, or a swab, yeah. Mm, oh, yeah. so great. Back in the 1800s. Um, <laughs> what have you got for me? Um, so this one is um, a, a, a spectrophilia. A spectrophilia. Okay. Is it A, a human ghost, sorry, a human and ghost 
lovemaking together, the ghost usually comes in a lady form. Okay. Or is it a cin- or be a cinema experience, which a bit like where well, it predates the three D vision, but it was aiming to create the same kind of effect of a kind of more um, involved uh, experience with the film. I think that's a bluff. I think it is the. I think it's the cinema. Incorrect. Oh. It's a king. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Satsumi Sosumi so, so, <laughs> so Sumi is the art of wrapping sexual organs in silk and ribbons so let me take you back to the 8th century Japan as Arthur Marshall might say and call my bluff and uh, where they used to wrap up sexual organs in silk and ribbons in complex, intricate designs, and upon entering the bedchamber, they would offer them as gifts to their lovers, and they would enjoy the physical sensation of it being unwrapped. Or I think it's a lovely item. <laughs> or, uh, also from the Orient, is it a very small tsunami? Kink or bluff? Can you say the word for us again? Satsumi. Satsumi. Sasumi, Sasumi, what can you do me? Um, I think it's um, a small tsunami. <laughs> no, it's a king. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the art of kokigami. Or oh, I probably pronounced all of those words wrong. Um, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I quite like that idea. Wrapping it up as a gift for your lover. I know, I'm going to try that when we get out. <laughs> um, what's the next one? Yeah, so this is the problem that I have with this game, is how to pronounce everything. Um, so this one is Suitsvid. Suitsvid. Yeah. Okay. So S-O-U-S slash vid. V-I-D-E. Okay. Yeah. So is it A, a plastic bag in which you cook something, but for a longer time in hot water, usually it takes... Like a Vesta curry? Like it could be a, 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 a joint of meat, perhaps. Okay, joint of meat or a boil-in-the-bag curry. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, or is it B, someone talking to you in a foreign language that you don't understand when lovemaking? Ooh. I think it's someone talking to me in a foreign language that I don't understand while lovemaking. It's a nice idea, but you're wrong. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> crap at this game. It's a bluff. God damn it. Do you want one more? Yeah, go on then. One more. Okay. Right. The word is polynia. Is it? Polynia. Polynia. So is it a hole in the ice or a stretch of open water surrounded by ice, particularly in the Antarctic or Arctic? Or is it someone who only likes sex with more than one person? So they have they can only have sex if there's more than one person involved, other than them, obviously. So multiple people involved. Uh, I'm going to go for multiple partners every time. <sighs> <laughs> well, me too, usually. But I'm afraid <laughs> it's a bluff. Oh. oh. Okay. <laughs> We're so shit at this. <laughs> i think no i think you 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 definitely got one right i think i've just got all of them wrong 
so so far you're definitely beating me at this game anyway thank you for joining us on instagram live for kink my bluff we'll see you next time this will be out a week on sunday so tune in to the rest of the show Right. right, back in this room there. there. Anyway, what that really old queen? Um, so I was just talking about um, the circle of books. So as you said, there's a Netflix um, documentary about it that's made by the daughter of the parents that owned the bookshop. Mm. And um, it was a bookshop that was opened in 1982. And... They came from a place really where they were sort of running out. It felt like they were kind of running out of ideas for to to make money. The parents um, they answered an ad about like delivering um, publications from their station wagon, um, which was um, adult game material, and then slowly got into like the distribution of that by buying a bookshop, and and it you know it was a, it was a it was a kind of mainstay of the kind of gay culture in West Hollywood in the time. Um, you'd walk through the door and um, there would be like, uh, what's those books? The San Francisco um, uh, storybooks. Oh, Tales of the City. Tales of the City, yeah. Those kind of materials that are kind of like, um, but then you'd walk into the adult section and then you'd find books like or videos like back backdoor buddies or um school of hard cocks um, <laughs> i went to that school <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was uh it, but what it became really was a uh, was a very safe space for gay men to go to when it was very dangerous to be gay so we're talking about the early 1980s this is when the reagan administration was in um, in the, in power, mm. and um, it was very anti-gay in America at that time. Um, partly because of, well, mainly because of the AIDS crisis. Um, so, in one essence, it was just a bookshop, but it kind of has so much to do with gay identity, the AIDS crisis, and the First Amendment, which was about kind of like freedom of speech, yeah. essentially. And so the family that ran it also then became um, producers of gay porn. So they worked quite closely with um, Jeff Stryker. I know. Uh, Who was possibly one of the first, um, I think that was one of the first porn films that I watched had Jeff Stryker in it. Yeah. So most people like of a certain age know of Jeff Stryker. And there's this story about um, the, the parents invite being invited to um, a country dancing session with Jeff Stryker, where he used to sing his song, um, pop, it, pop it in the pooper and let me hear you squeal. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, David Mills has joined us. Hi. <laughs> Hi, David. Are you joined now? Um, you're welcome to. <laughs> we should acknowledge you. Thank you. Here. We're 
we're just talking about the film um, that's just been released on Circle um, on Netflix, The Circle of Book. Oh, yes, I saw it, yeah. And it is like this amazing film because you just get this beautiful insight into this like Jewish family, really, um, who they... The mother is the particularly strong dominant character yeah, in, in the film. And um, like some of my friends who have come from, from that kind of background talk about their, their Jewish parents having this kind of sensibility around them that is about like kind of um, not thinking that they will be able to succeed in anything in wow. that way, but coming from a real place of like genuine love that they wouldn't be disappointed by that. Mm. And so um, Karen, I'm sorry, Rachel, who makes the documentary um, is doing it really. And the, the mother is saying, I just don't think anyone's going to be interested in this. And there was a bit of shame really that she was, that she was attached to something like they led a very heteronormative life, mm. like, but they were running this gay porn um, bookshop and the children were told that, they, I don't think they were told not to tell anyone, but they were told not to sort of um, brag about it in that way. And they were told to go into the shop and look on the floor and, you know, they knew, they kind of knew what was going on, but they didn't really know what was going on until the daughter goes to college, to art school, and everyone starts, and she says, oh, well, I don't know if you're interested, but my parents run the circle of books, and everyone says, oh, my God, that's the most amazing bookshop and so, like, prolific in kind of gay identity and history. Yeah, I mean, th there's such in interesting characters that are running or used to run that shop because they one of them was a journalist, the other one was working on special effects for Star Trek. But what I found interesting was... What one of the customers said um, at the time that during the 70s, they never got to see people being openly out having sex with each other. And so porn was really important for them because society deemed them as freaks. And mm. th there were there were these films of people having sex, you know, like they wanted to have sex. Uh, yeah. And I've never thought of porn like that before. And how kind of important it is as part of gay culture in that way. I don't know if you guys have. <laughs> no, I haven't yeah. like that at all. Yeah, I mean, I think it's. I think. I think we forget regularly how central porn and sex is to gay culture. Mm. You know, to me, that's sort of the basis. And I think. I think that sexual spaces and porn and all that—that's the stuff that. When that disappears, gay culture disappears. Yes, the community and you know all the rest of it, but but to me, that's 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 the uh, secondary stuff. The stuff that really brings people together is sex. <laughs> well, yes, I mean that's <laughs> what sex is bringing people together, right? Yeah. So you know, I, I think yeah, I think it's super super important, and it's I know that for me, you know. Those kinds of porn shops were the things where I saw my first gay, you know, there were others. It wasn't, when I was growing up at least, it wasn't, you know, I knew of Circus of Books, but that was a little further out in LA, further west. Where did where you I grow was. up? Where were you growing yeah, up? I, I was mostly growing up, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but when I was 18 in um, 87, we moved to uh, Southern California. Outside of LA, more in the desert, in a town called Claremont, and um, there were there were 
three bookstores much like Circus of Books in my, just in my driving, just in driving distance for me, you know, 10 minutes from me. And I used to cruise those places, you know, and see Merrin and they, Circus of Books didn't have it, but what was quite typical of those books is they had booths, little video booths. Mm. And you could go and, and look at, watch videos in the store. And did you, were you, did you, were you charged to look at those videos? Yeah, you'd have to, there was like a machine and you'd have to pay the dollar bill and pay the dollar bill and pay the dollar bill. And then it would run, you know, for, you know, five minutes or whatever it was. I mean, I can't tell you how much money I spent there over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was, you know, I mean, some of my earliest sexual experiences happened in those places. Well, yeah. so I mean, it, in, a, in a heteronormative world, gay porn and like shops like that are your first outlet, aren't they? Yeah, sure. Uh, and what? And is, not just your first. Uh, no, obviously. <laughs> yeah, and second, know, and I third, mean, and fourth, and fifth. <laughs> yeah, and for for a lot of for a lot of particularly closeted guys, those were the those were their only sexual outlet. There was one near my university. When I went to uh, university, went to college in San Diego, and uh, there was a chain of them called F Street because the original one was on a street called F Street. And I always thought that was such a cool name for a dirty bookstore, F Street. But there was one up by the military base. And um, I mean, I used to drive, it was 24 hours. And I'd find myself getting up at, you know, two in the morning and driving out to this dirty bookstore and cruising the, the, the booths in the back, you know? And there were all sorts of, military guys that would end up i mean it was wild <laughs> but, but when you say cruising were you cruising books or were you cruising no no there were booths there was like a separate section and it was like a almost like a maze of booths that were semi semi-closed you know they were built in a way that they were semi-private so you know you could easily join someone in a booth or watch or all sorts of stuff would go on Right, so almost like a dark room kind of situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah because they yeah, did mention yeah. that in Circus of Books, didn't they? There was, there was an attic upstairs where sometimes people yes. would go and have sex. Um, yes, yes. It, that yes. the whole documentary was quite nostalgic for me because when I was making micro-budget queer movies in the noughties, those types of shops were the only places that would stock them, stock the DVDs. So right. I would, I would wander around to see if my films were there. And in one of them, I played a sex shop owner. So it, it just kind of brought back lots of nostalgia of making those films and then going, yeah. going to see if they're actually in the shops or not. I mean, it's amazing. I think there are maybe one or two of those still left in Soho. Yes. In the old days in Soho, well, not that long ago, you know, five, ten years ago, there was a, a, a whole row of those CD bookstores selling DVDs and Mm. all that but i, I, mean, I don't know just I don't changed know in like five there. years what's that soho's just changed in five years it's so yes cool. i think so i think all that's gone uh, but also with online porn as well it's kind of made all of that stuff redundant hasn't it yeah yeah and i think that's why it tells an interesting story the circle of books because um because it, it, it its demise is around like a uh, grinder or or, or scrap or those things as well, really, and the, the ease of connect, making connections. Mm. Um, but before, at the beginning, like they accidentally fall into really supporting all the gay men around them. So, you know, all of the HIV and AIDS stuff, 
their staff. Mm. They paid in cash mm. because it would interfere with their health benefits. Um, you know, they just became a kind of haven for people. Yeah. I mean, it was also in West Hollywood. So, I mean, it was part of a, a gay community. You know, that's in L.A. traditionally where the L.A. bars are or the, the gay bars. So it was I think there was they were in a real gay neighborhood in a gay world. I have to say, um, I love I've, I, I mean, I look through rose tinted spectacles at this, but there's a film called Cruising. And the actual documentary of Circus of Books reminded me of that. And seeing all that mm. old footage from the 70s and 80s and all those gay men out there on the street, I just, I really just wanted to be there and kind of experience it and drink it all up. I know it's probably very nostalgic to say that because obviously that was the height of the AIDS crisis and HIV and everything. But well, I mean, before, it was a lot of that footage came from before the AIDS crisis, didn't it? I mean, that was the moment that you see a lot of that stuff, certainly the San Francisco images and images you see a lot of images of sort of the castro and and just packed almost like a big festival some gay pride or something the whole place is just rammed 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 full of gay guys and that would have been surely that happened in the 80s too but you know in the 70s in the late 70s early before the the hiv crisis struck a lot of that footage came from and that yeah that does feel like some sort of fabled fantasy moment you know or like the peers in you know or who knows it would have been amazing yeah like i say it was it's probably rose-colored spectacles looking back on it but it just seems like they're having so much fun and because <laughs> it, it was pretty good to me <laughs> yeah and because everybody because it was still not the thing to be in society it all feels a bit naughty yeah. as well so it, it just makes it even more fun and also the fashion was so outrageous yeah on the short shorts I love the short, the short shorts. shorts and the big belt <laughs> buckles and all that yeah. crazy, you know, leather. And I mean, it's hilarious. Mm. I'm disappointed that you're wearing clothes because on our, on our messaging on Instagram, you said that you would, you were debating whether to just even wear a robe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to put it together for you too, you know, a little bit of a, it seems actually like you've got quite a few layers on. I do actually. I have a, a t-shirt and another shirt, a colored shirt over it. It's actually, yeah, I find it quite chilly actually. Yeah, it has gone. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a little bit um, layered up. I mean, Tommy and I usually record naked, but um, yeah, we've had to put some clothes on today as well. Yeah, so. it's a shame. We had such nice weather there for a moment, didn't yeah. we? Yeah. Anyway, Tommy, did you have anything else to say about Circus of Books? No, no, no. That was my, yeah. Is that it? Really. Okay. Well, David, uh, sit right there. I and recommend you listen to it on, uh, you watch it on Netflix. Yes, I'm going to watch it again because I absolutely loved it. David, sit, stay right there. We'll be back with right, you in a bit. We're going to have a little break now and we'll be back after this. So we're back. Um, we have uh, the lovely David Mills with us. Hello. Tommy, would you like to introduce David Mills and his, his little repertoire of stuff that he does? Well, um, I'll try my best. Um, so um, David Mills, um, is, I'm delighted that he's joined us uh, 
this evening for the podcast. Um, and so, so David works as a stand-up comedian and also, you know, you, you've done some films as well. Um, I guess that was part of my first question really is like, mm. um, which came first and, you, and, and, and how did you transition into film work? Or was that always something that you were doing anyway? Um, which came first? Well, I mean, it's funny. I, I started having success in stand-up before I had success as an actor. But I studied acting, and I always wanted to act. And at a certain moment, I made a decision because I feel like in acting, I, I haven't been able to progress beyond the point of sitting by the phone. You know, I find it very hard to be proactive in acting. And it just got so frustrating, and I, I just wanted to be on stage, you know. I love an audience. So uh, I just figured stand-up comedy was a way I could be on stage. And, and you can be on stage, you know, seven nights a week as a stand-up. I mean, it, in London and in most, most towns, really, it, especially if you're not fussed with being paid. So you can do the open mic circuit, and you can, you can work regularly as a stand-up performer. So I was on stage all the time, and then that, and I, I began to have some success in stand-up, and then and then from that I got proper acting work in films and TV. That's how it's happened. And I, so I follow you on Instagram, and it seems like you're constantly back and forth from America. Um, mm. How does that work for you? Well, my family is all on the West Coast, and my my dad and my brother are in Sacramento, and uh, I have family in Portland, Oregon. My I have a big family, lots of siblings. So uh, there are a chunk of us in um, Portland, Oregon, and then there are a chunk of us in sort of the nor nor central Northern California. And so I like to go back regularly if I can and um, gig, do stand-up in, in L.A. in Seattle and, um, and see my family. And then also there's a venue in New York that uh, I've built a relationship with over the years called Pangea. And it's a little bit of a queer, bohemian haven uh, almost like a like if you re, you remember bistro tech in the 2000s in east london kind of a cool experimental but very intimate very intimate yeah just 60 seats and uh, has a great great following and a lot of great artists perform there a lot of emerging artists some old uh, established artists like penny arcade and joey arias mm -hmm but then also a lot of the new kids coming through and it's sort of the step before or an alternative to, I should say an alternative to Joe's pub, which is a very well established mm. uh, venue uh, associated with the public theater. Mm. So I've been embraced there and I've also embraced them. And, and so I go back there about twice a year, at least twice a year to do shows. And so I've begun to build a, a, an audience in New York as well. I like going back to the U S I like being here and I like going back. If I, if I can do both, I'm, I'm really happy. And you're in King's Cross right now. Yeah. And so you were, um, you were in the film, uh, about Florence Welsh. Florence Foster Jenkins. Florence, yeah. Florence, <laughs> Florence Welsh. Uh, I'd love to be in a film Welsh about Florence Welsh. <laughs> 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 Sorry. That's a film Florence. I'd love to be in. That would be great. <laughs> they haven't put that out yet. <laughs> they will. They will. <laughs> Yeah, well, how much did you know about her story um, before you, so this is the film with Meryl Streep, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for those listeners who might not know, she was a, a singer in the um, during World War One in New York City, and she was a society matron and was a big supporter of the arts, the symphony and the Philharmonic and the opera and the chamber orchestra all in New York. She was a big wealthy donor, but she also fancied herself uh, an opera singer herself, but she was terrible. She was a terrible singer, but because she was such a, uh, an important funder for all these institutions, when she put on a concert, all the, the great and the good from the music world were obliged to go to her shows and sort of compliment her and say, Oh, that was wonderful. Florence, even though it was abysmal. So this was, a, you know, a true story. And she even made recordings, you know, and, and, and built a bit of a reputation. But do you think there was an element of, like, people going because it was so it was so bad that it was good? Well, this is how I found out about her. Because when I was in uh, living in San Francisco in the 90s, an older friend of mine, who's still a dear friend of mine today, this older gay guy, introduced me to her and had one of her recordings and played it and said, you've got to listen to this. You'll love it. It's terrible. It's We love it. You know, when we would play the record and get completely pissed and just, you know, laugh ourselves silly. And I really believe that it was gay men who saw the irony in it that kept her theme alive through the decades. And what was great about, about the film is I got to play that gay guy in the film who goes to see her and loves her because she's terrible. Amazing. So I felt a really, I felt so lucky, and I felt like this is the part made for me. You know, it was, it was very, it was very me. <laughs> so I was, I was thrilled. Well, uh, us gays love a strong woman, uh, particularly if they absolutely. can't sing. Yeah, uh, <laughs> absolutely. We celebrate them. We, yes. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? <laughs> so you've also done urban myths, and you were in Patrick Melrose. Yes. But what I'd like to talk to you about is your YouTube channel. Uh, mm. which I had a little look mm. at. And you've mm. you've got some relatively recent sketches which yeah. uh, called That Guy, which reminds me of the party sketches yeah. from The Two Ronnies, which oh, I used right. to I love. Don't the, I don't know The Two Ronnies. I'll look that up. T- two Ronnies were like a massive comedy duo. But maybe David won't get that reference because it's very, like it's very 1970s British. It is. I know the name, The Two Ronnies, but I, I just don't know. I mean, I, I know they were, they were comedy actors but i don't know i don't know that sketch was that a famous sketch well yes so practically every single episode and i I recently watched the beginning of their series and they used to they used to start off with like a spoof news kind of reel and then at the end of it they'd go and now let's have a look at the state of the party and then it would go into a party sketch so it would be a comedy sketch at a party and then that carried right. on throughout the many years which they did their series so when i right. watched your that guy because obviously it's it's your character being at a party it just reminded me of that but t- tell right. us how how did that guy come about well that guy is really really stems from my stand up act right. all those basically it's it's this weird not that weird, but sort of like that guy at a party, you know, that guy who sort of, you know, kind of comes into a conversation, seems like a normal guy, but then all of a sudden goes on some sort of little rant and you think, who, wait a minute, who is this guy? Like, I don't even know why I'm talking to him, that guy, you know? <laughs> and um, I kind of do those rants in my standup. Those those are, are part of my routine. And 
I had done the, one of them at a kind of a showcase that my agent was having and um, for like industry people. And one producer from uh, a, a production company came to me and he's a young guy, young gay guy. And he came to me and he said, listen, I would love to film your rant about uh, gender pronouns. Would you be willing to do that? You know, he said, I need for my CV to develop some work separate from the production company I work for. So my, my sort of CV as a producer, I produced this. And I would love to film your, uh, your gender pronoun uh, monologue. And I said, oh, well, you know, I've always thought it would be great, like, set in a party, and we, I could write the script as more of a dialogue with other people. And he said, oh, yeah, let's do that. And I said, well, and by the way, since we're filming, I have these two other little grants, and since we're just going to be filming, why don't we just film all three of them? And he was like, um, well, okay, maybe we can, maybe we can. And I said, all right, I'll write them up, and then you read them, and you tell me what you think. So I wrote them up, and he said, yeah, let's do it. So because he was connected already to a production company, he had someone in mind for the director of photography and the hair and makeup and all the casting and the sound. And so, I mean, it looks super professional as he works in that world. Yeah. And he was able to call in a bunch of favors, get it filmed professionally and, and, and well done. So, yeah, so that's how it happened. Great. And the gender pronouns kind of ranty thing mm. is mm. it's mm. so funny and it feels really well crafted and kind of just like snappy. Well, yeah. Um, that's what reminded me of uh, the two Ronnies as well, because they used to love that wordplay as well. So when I saw yeah. that one, I was, and it's at a party, I'm like, my God, this is like a modern day two Ronnies sketch. I'm going to have to look that up, the, those, those skits. <laughs> And I hope that it. I hope that it's taken in really good humour. But I wonder if there's there was any backlash to that. Do you know I've never had any backlash. I I think that I've had. Um, oh, I take that back. I take that back. I, so mostly I've had binary people approach me afterwards and say that was hilarious. And mm. you know we the only time we're ever included in routines is really in this kind of, as like a punching bag. But you. You know, at least the, the people that I've that have approached me have said, you know, there's a sense of humor about it, but it, but but it's not a it's not a malicious. It's a, there's nothing malicious about it. It's just kind of kind of exposing the the mania around the conversation more than anything. That's exactly that, how I felt about it. Like it it felt it felt quite gentle in that way. Yeah, yeah. I think it is like a gentle satire in a way, but. Uh, the place where I got the most negative response was at a queer event. And, um, I mean, they didn't like me from the start when I came out because I was much more kind of conventional stand-up than the rest of the show. And the rest of the show was very experimental. And then when I start, and I, and I didn't lead the, my, my set with that material but they didn't love my material to begin with. And then when I started that, that some people started shouting out things. So I was not popular that evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, but, you know, I always find it hard to, to perform for the queers because, you know, queers are, can be on the defensive and wherever I'm performing, I want to be challenging my audience, pushing them a little bit. Um, because I, as a, as an audience member, I never like to feel like I'm being kind of patronized and just kind of, I want to be challenged as an audience member. And I, I, as a performer, I challenge my audiences and not just be like a booster. I feel like that to me isn't very interesting. So sometimes people react to that. 
So what else have you got in the pipeline, David? Uh, have you been working on anything during lockdown? Well, I, I filmed a, a, do you know this? You might know the name, D.B. Cooper. Do you know that name, D.B. Cooper? No. He was a, a, te- he was a, a, um, a hijacker in the U.S. in the 70s. And he early, when, when hijacking, hijacking went through a little bit of a phase in the 70s in the U.S. There was a lot of, not a lot, but there was a state. And um, he hijacked a plane from Portland, Oregon to Seattle. He had a bomb in a briefcase. And he made them land in Seattle and then mostly let go of the audience or the, the, the passengers, but he kept the crew. I love that he made people in audiences. Right? Then he made the uh, authorities bring uh, two or three parachutes and, you know, like $200,000. This is the 1970s. I guess $200,000 was lots and lots of money. I mean, I would love it now, but nonetheless, mm-hmm. you're not going to hijack a plane for $200,000, but nonetheless, he did. And then he made them take off again going towards uh, Mexico. But somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, he jumped out with the parachute and they never found him. So the guy who made the director who made, um, Louis, the Rose Scientology movie, which you may remember made a film and a documentary where he found the last remaining people who claimed Cooper was their husband uncle, father, whatever, you know, they're still out there. There's still a few people who claim that D.B. Cooper, they have the, the story behind D.B. Cooper. And he tracked each of them down and interviewed them and turned it into a film. And then I play D.B. Cooper in all the reenactments. And that's a BBC, HBO thing. And that's coming out sometime this year, maybe in the autumn, I think. Oh, amazing. So that's, yeah, that was a fun project. And is there some um, kind of queer reading into that? There's no queer. There's no queer reading in it. If you know, um, do you know Twin Peaks? Yeah. Do you watch Twin Peaks? He, what was his name? The um, detective agent Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, he was named after D.D. Cooper because that's the part of the country oh. where it all went down and where he disappeared in that kind of heavily wooded, you know, mountainous region. Oh, amazing! Did you yeah. end up in the so in the Red Lodge? No, I didn't. <laughs> That'd be fabulous, though. Uh, so that project is coming out, and at the moment I'm scribbling away, writing things, and I have a podcast that I do regularly called Focus People that that continues where I interview different interesting people. And that's you're what I'm doing along with um, Timberlina. Who and we, I'm working with, exactly, and I'm working with Timberlina and the, Johnny Wu. Yeah, who we've had on the show. Yes, um, Timberlina sends uh, her love and also said that you copy everything that she does. <laughs> I have. She's absolutely, absolutely. She's, she's you know, Timberlina is the greatest. What, what's so great about her is she's so inadvertently funny, you know. I think I'm someone who, you know, really kind of writes all my material and rehearses it and polishes it and, and it feels very scripted. Yeah, she's and I think she's just she's just naturally kind of, it just comes out. She doesn't even know half the time, the brilliance that she brings. <laughs> she's the greatest. Yeah. And Johnny Wu, of course, is one of the pioneers of, you know, queer cabaret in this country. And, and this is the Dallas reboot, which like Bernie, <laughs> Bernie loves all of the Dallas, the dynasty, all of that. Jazz. I, oh, are you that a big Dallas be, fan? Bernie? I'm a massive <laughs> Dallas fan. 
I love Dallas so much. I can't. And you play? Do you play Jr? I play Jr. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Because I so, saw, I saw you play this. I think many yeah. years ago in this weird space. I don't know where we were, but it felt like deepest, darkest East London somewhere. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's like a school or something. I remember that venue. I remember that venue. Yeah. In Haggerston is where it was. And, you know, this is the revival no one was asking for. And, um, and we're bringing it back nonetheless. And we had such fun doing it 10 years ago that we thought, well, why not do it again? So, you know, for an audience that doesn't even know what Dallas is, frankly, yeah. but it's, but I'm convinced that the, Dallas and, and particularly Larry Hagman was just about one of the best actors of his generation. If you go online and watch on YouTube, the best JR bits, I mean, he is majestic. He's so good. He's phenomenal. so funny. And he is, he's phenomenal. They, he's really, really good. Well, they did bring it back, didn't they? And obviously yes. he died during uh, the filming during of the, the revival. Yeah, and it yeah, just yeah, wasn't yeah. the same without him because uh, Every th- the the whole series kind of centered around him and that character. It's like a linchpin. Yeah, de- deliciously Absolutely. evil and you know, like a complete psychopath. But um, yeah. but I absolutely loved him, and yeah, as an actor, he was amazing. He was amazing, and what a what a lucky 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 actor to have that you know to be remembered for that. What a great part, and 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 that went on for for decades at least a decade yeah. and, and had fans around the world, around the world. I listened to a podcast about it and the guy who was doing the podcast is from Dallas. And he said he traveled the world at any time. He could be in a taxi cab in Vietnam. He could be in a, you know, a, a gondola in Venice. And if they ask where he's from and he says Dallas, they immediately start with the theme song. Everyone yeah. knows it around the world, you know, totally. totally. Not bad. Um, David, are you going to stay with us? Because we do a thing at the end of our show called Queens of Agony, where we oh, I'd love to, yeah. We answer some questions from our listeners who yes, have please. some problems. Um, so, yeah, if you can stay with us, we'll do Queens yes, of Agony please. next. I would love that. Okay, yeah, great. I'm going to do a big gong. Right. Uh, you ready for this, guys? Uh, okay, let's do it. Dear old queens, I'm 45 and finding it difficult to meet guys willing to date or commit or even get to know. I recently deleted Grinder and Scruff. I should have done it sooner. I was over the meaningless introductions, you know, the ones that start off with just a pick or just one word, with no context. And with the current pandemic, there's nothing stopping them still asking for a hookup. I got to the stage where those apps are not working for me or appealing to what I was looking for. Uh, It took a long time before I realised they were merely just hookup apps. Anyway, to cut a long story short, I've joined local gay groups in my town, but it turned out to be a group of sleazy men. What I thought was a local group for locals to go somewhere where they felt accepted and comfortable turned out to be the total opposite of what I hoped for. Learning from mistakes is part of life. We learn and grow from them. But it seems I'm finding it difficult to meet like-minded men. What am I doing wrong? Well, what do we think about that? Mm. It's definitely difficult as you get a bit older, isn't it? Yeah, it's only 45, though. This is true. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was I was a bit confused about how is he managing to go to the community groups in lockdown. I think this this was obviously before lockdown, mm. un- unless he's joining Zoom meetings, which can also I, be problematic. I'm, yeah, I'm a little bit confused by what kind of community group turned out to be sleazy like what specifically <laughs> was that was that like a you know naked cooking group well surprise surprise <laughs> it's going to be a bit sleazy you know what i mean i, I think maybe it's about the, your choice of community group kinks are us social um yeah, exactly or maybe he was going to circus of books who knows before they shut down <laughs> um I don't know. I mean, he seems a bit uptight about the apps. I mean, the apps are the apps. I mean, you can complain about them as much as you like or embrace them for what they are. Um, but I know people mm. that have met people on apps. Uh, and I think it's the it, it's maybe what you're looking for and, and how you go about it, really. Um, yeah. I, I, found it, I found a struggle to actually get to the nub of what the problem was. I didn't really get it. I think... You can't well, meet people. He, yeah, he wants to meet someone. He obviously wants to meet someone for a relationship, I think, because he doesn't, he doesn't want just a hookup. But then the thing is, is if you put too much onus on all of that stuff, you know, just a hookup could turn out to be a relationship. You know, That's if exactly right. If you're being a bit too uptight about the whole thing, then, you know, it's never going to work out for you, is it? Is that from your experience, David? I think that's right. I think, I think you've got to be much more open-ended about the whole thing which in, in every sense, <laughs> um, I think you've just, you've just got to let go of, and it's hard, I think, but I think you've got to let go of your ambition to meet someone and settle down. You've got to come to terms with the fact that that may never happen mm-hmm. and you've got to do it anyway. Yeah. Not to meet someone, but because you get into engaging, you want to engage yeah. If you keep it at that level and just let grow what may grow, then you may find yourself in a relationship. But if you go in with the intention, I'm going to find a relationship, I don't think you're going to find it. Yeah, exactly. I think anyone that has that intention is uh, is going to fall foul of it. You know, they're going to be disappointed. I think that's right. Um, spend, like spend the next two weeks just saying to yourself, it's never going to happen. And then it possibly might. No, 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 I don't think it's, I don't think it's, it's never going to happen. I just say put it out of your mind though, from your decision-making and just make the decision-making. I'm just going to engage. I'm I'm out to engage with people. And the more engagement you do, the more opportunities emerge and just keep engaging, just keep engaging. Also, if, if he doesn't like these um, community social groups, start one up, which he does like. That's a good idea. You know, yeah. I've done that before. I, st- yeah. I still didn't meet my um, <laughs> my soulmate through it. But uh, I had a lot right. of uh, good times for seven years while I did it. So, um, yeah. Well, you left it and it carried on, didn't it, Bernie? It has carried on, yes. It's not like, I mean, I'm not like JR. I'm not the linchpin for it. What was that group? <laughs> it was called Members in Bristol. And it was for professional, in inverted commas, gay men. Um, and it took me seven really? years to realize I'm not really a professional gay man. <laughs> <laughs> I once sent a text message to my friend saying, I can't see you tonight. I'm out with the professional gays. 
because I had a group of friends that were just like brilliant at being gay. Like they were like, yes, <laughs> they had a nice flat, they had good jobs and they yeah, said the yeah. right thing all the time. And they were just brilliant in that way. And they just looked really clean and sharp all the time. And so I said, I said, I can't go, I can't see you tonight because I'm out with a professional gaze. But I sent it to one of the professional gays. By <laughs> <laughs> that, doesn't that always happen? <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to call it Posh Puffs, but apparently that was wrong. That's good as well. <laughs> Maybe that's my next social group. Um, our listener can have that for free if he wants it. Okay, shall we move on? Uh, next question. Dear old queens, uh, this is an interesting one, actually. I matched with an old friend on Tinder. I'm having a hard time approaching the conversation. I swiped right thinking that there was no way this person would think of me in that regard. However, we both ended up swiping right. Now I'm wondering if they swiped right to see if I did the same or if I actually have a real chance with this guy. Uh, times have absolutely changed. You can't just meet someone at a club and read their body language. Today, you have to read micromannerisms and read between a text. I've always liked this guy and now I'm wondering if I should shoot my shot or just be a scaredy cat. We both went to separate colleges and have been in different cities for over 10 years. Help, what do I say? So this is like uh, unrequited love from the past coming back to bite you on the bum. I would just send a message saying like, oh, isn't it fun that we both swiped right? And yeah. just see where that ends, that, that what happens next. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, it's just a Tinder date, like any Tinder date, really. He also swiped right. Mm. So treat it like a Tinder date, you know? I think you just got to assume he did it because he wanted to do it. He wanted to swipe right, so he did, because yeah. he's interested. That's why people swipe right. Totally. So go for it. Yeah. Or otherwise, they don't know they're left from the right, which is my thing. <laughs> that sometimes happens well, by accident, doesn't it? You, you can't go in, you know, even even if you didn't know them, you could get yourself in trap like, oh, did they swipe right because they're interested or did they swipe right because they don't know the left from the right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. sometimes yeah. I super like someone without realizing that. <laughs> I thought yeah. I was going to get But you can't, yeah. you can't, you can't <laughs> question every time. You've got to just assume on the face of it, it is what it says it is. You're right. So I would be excited. He's interested. Yeah, take it, it take it at face value. And also that person from years ago is probably not the same person. So if you think that he didn't like you then, maybe he's gonna like you now. You know. Yeah. I think you do have to take it at face value. Uh, there's very I wise words exciting. from you, David. Yeah. Let um, us know what happens. I'm excited. I wanna know. You could write a play about it, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> or at least a comedy sketch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that guy on a tinder date <laughs> yes well hopefully we'll see more of that guy so that could that guy could end up on a tinder date you can see that could happen great okay um these ones are shorter ones so dear old queens have you ever reinvented yourself completely new hair and clothes etc expressed yourself differently how did it go and how did you go about it I'm trying this myself. I've been isolated for a long time and I'll be 40 next year. So I'm hoping this will help. So how do you go about reinventing yourself? 
I mean, the only thing that sprung to mind for me was like, I've grown my hair. And so people often associate me with like a blonde queer. Mm. And now I don't have that. I just have like long hair. But obviously that's been a very long transitional process. It's taken me two years to grow this hair. Um, and it's I amazing. Do, I do look very different from, I mean, I feel very different in in that way. I think your hair's given you more confidence, a bit like Samson. I don't. I just feel more like it. It feels a bit more like who I am inside because mm. I feel sometimes quite spiritual, or like a bit more like ethereal. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And and so to have this kind of sort of twink quiff. Not like yours, David. <laughs> I don't think you could call mine a twink. No, because mine was like a shot. Of, yeah, mine was like a shot of blonde and a big quiff. yes, yeah. yes. And I yes. just, I'm, and I'm sort of enjoying that. I'm, I'm enjoying that transition, but it's an easier transition because it's taken a long time. Mm. Yeah, David, how, have you ever reinvented yourself? I think we all do it say- multiple times through life, don't we? Yeah, I mean, I've moved around quite a bit to like new cities where I didn't know anyone, and I feel that is has been my my has been a hugely. I sort of miss it. It's been a long time since I've done it, and I, I'm hungry to do it again. You know, for the first six months, year, two years, you're really alone. You're really, you know, you don't know where you are. You have to meet new people. You have to put yourself out there in, in new ways. And I think you really grow in that process. And I would say if you really want to reinvent yourself completely, although it doesn't happen overnight, it happens slowly, um, move, to, move somewhere where you don't know anyone. And I mean, that may be our friend's answer from the earlier question as well. If you want to meet mm. new people, literally move to somewhere where you don't know anyone and you'll meet new people. Yeah, You will you will find new things in yourself. You'll experience the world in a different way. And it's a kind of reinvention that I've, I've returned to numerous times. Yeah. I feel that I feel so rooted in being in Bristol. And I think it, I, I don't know if you feel like that Bernie as well. Yeah, but I moved to Bristol from Kent. So I, kind of reinvented myself i think subconsciously i moved to bristol to come out really in my early Mm -hmm. 20s because Mm -hmm. the town in kent where i was from i literally felt like i was the only gay in the village and it was pretty rough as well um and i think you go through a number of reinventions through your life uh especially at 40 i mean they say life begins at 40 but it is a is a bit of a key age and i think um yeah, I mean, you can have different outlook on your career, on your personal life. And uh, I mean, if you're just thinking about looks, I think that's not going to be the only thing that's going to change. I mean, your whole outlook on life as you get a bit older and you hit that age is different because you feel more comfortable in who and what you are and you have to try less, I think. And uh, I mean, I grew a beard uh, and I i mean, I found it difficult to date before the beard, but as soon as the beard came along... Um, yeah, it was like bees around a honeypot. So uh, yeah, maybe maybe have some facial furniture. I, I think you're right. I, I, I would, if I could just say, I think into your age, you know, as you age, that will reinvent things for you. Don't resist mm. it. Lean into it because you will find, I found it 40 
and I found it 50 that, you know, surprising how many people are attracted to that. What seems arbitrary to you doesn't feel arbitrary to them. They really invest it with all sorts of meaning and, and, and that's all mostly positive or, or, you know, it can be really positive. So lean into it, get into how old you are. If you're 40, if you're 50, if you're 45. And, and I think you'll find that there are people who really want that are looking for that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. definitely. Uh, I mean, that's kind of what this whole podcast is about. It's like you can be older uh, and still be gay. Uh, Life does not end at 30. uh, As some people seem to think. Um, Okay. uh, One more question. You ready for this? Dear old Queens. How do I get the most out of a bath? I've been wanting to take... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This is my kind of question. I know. I thought as soon as I saw this one come in, I was like, Tommy's going to love this. (laughs) I've been wanting to take more baths, but I don't really know how to enjoy them to the fullest. Any tips that you do or have heard makes a bath more enjoyable? So the, uh, what I was going to say, um, because I've been having a lot more baths in lockdown than normal, mm-hmm. um, but one of the key things for me is lighting, because um, in my bathroom I've just got a big fluorescent yes. light. Yeah, you don't want that. And like you can see, you can see everything that you need to see um, in normal light. But I would put a candle in and turn the light. Yes. Yeah. Or a number of candles. My bathroom is quite dark. I put one candle in, but leave the door open. Okay. Yeah. And do you have a little bit of music on? Yeah, or a podcast. Um, yeah. But something, well, my favourite podcast to listen to in the bath is um, a podcast called You Must Remember This. I love that. Yes. It's a great one. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. about kind of Hollywood icon. Uh, icons and they're sort of well, it's quite salacious isn't it yeah yeah she's great i love her and her funny language is yeah. is really I love great with the, language uh, at the end she says this podcast was written by me and i'm collecting. i love it between a long word <laughs> yeah i love it at the top when she goes join us won't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's great. I love her. She's her, she's partners with someone really big in Hollywood as well. She, she's got a really an actor. I forget who. Uh, someone. Her partner. Amazing. Yeah, like Jimmy Kimmel or that. someone like That's that. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I need to I, edit I, at the credits to this podcast. I'm I'm gonna zhuzh them up a bit. I think. Yeah, it's an opportunity. <laughs> I would say this, I'm not a huge bath person, but I love a hot, like a hot tub or a whirlpool. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Which is essentially a big bath. Yeah. And what, what the, what's so great about them is that you can share them with someone else. Mm. It's hard to share a bath unless you have a massive yeah. bathtub. If you can share a hot tub or a, a, a whirlpool. When I lived in San Francisco, there used to be these um, sort of Japanese style private hot tubs so you would you would rent a room and it would have a hot tub and like a you know it was like a room like a all tiled with a hot tub and i used to go there with 
various boyfriends and mm. rent a room for an hour or an hour and a half. And just, I mean, it was amazing, you know, even if we didn't have sex, although we always had sex, but you know, it was just nice to kind of be in a hot tub with someone and yeah. be naked together. It was really fun, really fun. And so you can buy and- those inflatable hot tubs that you can just mm. pick up. Like, yeah. Apparently yeah. you shouldn't fill them up in your flat though. They leak. So, um, um <laughs> yeah, but maybe it's maybe not a go. thing to hire in lockdown if you're living in an apartment. <laughs> Probably not. Um, Probably not. Timberlina said, cause we had a question about, um, someone wanting to try anal for the first time and loosen themselves up. And Timberlina suggested you did that in the bath, uh, as well. Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah. uh, that I makes mean, sense. that might be a way of spicing up your bath time. I mean, I would, I would put some candles on, listen to some nice music, and uh, maybe burn some incense and uh, just relax. I've been doing a lot of photo shoots in the bath as well recently. <laughs> seen that. Trying to reconstruct sort of iconic historical images like Ophelia or the Merman, you know, different things like that. Um, Whitney Houston. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's I more do, my I often, I often think of princess margaret and whitney houston when i'm when i'm turning the hot tap did princess margaret die in a bath as well no but she burned her feet oh, oh. what badly okay. yeah quite badly oh wow yeah she, yeah she she had to actually just can she had to cancel every public engagement for a long time because she's just stepped into a hot bath how hot was that bath? i mean (laughs) but i just feel like tragedy around that story (laughs) it's like stepping into a bath as hot as molten lava (laughs) i mean i like a hot bath but that's ridiculous um i sat on a radio once when i was a kid apparently I had tram lines across my butt for months. Did you have to cancel all your? I had to cancel all my public engagements <laughs> when I was five. Not easy. I know. Yeah, that butt was intimate, especially at that age. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. You heard it, heard it here first. Steer clear of hot radiators and hot baths. Um, yeah, take a shower. It's safer. Take a shower. Yeah, you know, or a hot tub. Obviously, it's going to be a, a bit more. If you have access to it, you know, yeah. it's not yeah. something that w- that's easily accessible. But when it is, always take the opportunity. Or just candles, nice podcast, low mm. lighting, good lighting, yeah. essential oils. Mm. I would say, like, just a bath oil or salts are quite nice. Mm. I would avoid bubble bath. Yeah. I don't see the point myself. And a dildo. And a dildo. Yeah. Great. I'm glad we've sorted all those problems out this episode. David Mills, thank you so much for joining us on our silly little podcast. Oh, what a treat. That was a, a, a real pleasure to be uh, one of the old queens. So I'm, 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 I'm thrilled, you know, it's as, as, from one old queen to another. I'm, I'm, you know, well, you're welcome back anytime and we'd love thank to be you. in the same room with you next time, maybe. Wouldn't that be nice? Hopefully before too long. Yes. Uh, so thank you Uh, say goodbye david goodbye farewell and uh stay healthy and sane say goodbye tommy thank you again for for being my cohort in this little endeavor thank you bernie goodbye (laughs) goodbye we'll see you next time on what that old queen goodbye
have been listening to What? That Old Queen? Written and presented by Tom Marshman and Bernie Hodges. The show was produced by Bernie Hodges in lockdown 2020 for Hodge Podcasting. If you'd like to sponsor a show, or you'd just like to be a guest, or you have a question for the Old Queens, you can email on hello at thatoldqueen.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.